Thank you again for tuning into this episode of Facts. And uh, yeah, we've been busy, very busy. Uh, Eric, Eric Ybarra was on the other day. We had a multiple, multiple aspect conversation about the Roman Catholic Church. I thought it, very, it went very well. Good feedback on that one too, by the way. So make sure you tune into that one. Also, uh, looking into last night, Tyler and I were able to tell our story and our journey to Anglicanism. If you missed that, it's on the podcast and on the YouTube channel. And tonight, again, I've got my beautiful bride with me, Claire. We're going to discuss the necessity that we see in the church as a whole to actually start blessing Christian marriages. Now, I released a document. It'll be in the description later on. It'll also be on the podcast description. The article that I wrote actually going through this. So we're actually going to cover the article, but also have a discussion time within it. You're more than welcome to leave comments to those that are on YouTube live. Uh, you're more than welcome to actually engage with the discussion and ask questions. And we'll try to review those toward the end. Uh, Claire, tell everybody, hey, on facts and uh, kind of tell everybody what you do. Hey, <laughs> I've wanted to do that for so long. Also, fun fact, if you have been watching for a long time, you know that I am in Stephen Boyce's chair. I'm very excited about that. Part of sacrificial love was <laughs> giving up my spot. Uh, I don't know if anybody watches like Big Bang Theory with Sheldon Cooper. He has his spot. Nobody sits in a spot. That's my spot. Now, Tyler West, my co-host, never asks to sit in that spot because he already knows he answered the question. But uh, <laughs> nonetheless, yes, I digress. My spot has been taken for tonight. One of, the, one of the things that uh, we wanted to deal with is the subject of blessing and marriage. And particularly, those categories are being confused in our society. Our world has changed. Uh, what is a marriage? Why do you need a marriage? Do you need to go into a marriage? Is celibacy the role? Or and then we also see what uh, our culture has done by countering it with you can be married to multiple kinds of things, not just men to men and women to women. I was just reading a report the other day where somebody divorced a ghost, uh, a, a ghost of a pirate ship from many years ago. Uh, they had an argument and they divorced. So I don't know how that works. But I mean, you can marry anything today. It's silly. It's outrageous. And what does it mean to be blessed? Is it simply just a bless you? I hope your day goes well. No, we've downplayed even the term bless. So what we want to do is actually emphasize the necessity of hands on head blessing because we believe marriage is sacramental. And let me define that for us. Sacramental simply means it's something that you are receiving grace through. It's an opportunity for God to pour out his grace in a special way that's unique in, from any other circumstance. And we believe baptism is a part of that. We believe Eucharist is a part of that. We also believe marriage is a part of that because it is a picture of one of the most beautiful things that, that God even chose to use as an image for his love and the church. Christ's love for his church was sacrificial. He gave himself for it. It is his bride. He washes it. He regenerates it. So we see these illustrations where God even talked about Israel that way. I am your husband. And yet you continue to be the harlot. And he goes through there cheating on him constantly. And a bill of divorcement was to be issued. These are terminology. These kinds of terminology are Old and New Testament ideas that God likened himself to his people with using human marriages to replicate that both in a good way and in a bad way. So kind of talking about why marriage exists to begin with. There's benefits to everybody being married. The, the, the male benefits, the female benefits. But really, God's design should be what we seek first. And in the book of Genesis, he created man. He gave man all dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, all the creeping animals on the ground. And he told them, uh, he told him to go out and name them and to investigate them and, and inspect them. And as a result, he started noticing something amongst the animals that he himself did not have. And that is a partner. He did not have the, the opposite sex as the animals did. He did not have somebody to do life with. He was alone. And the first time in the book of Genesis, after all the creation narrative where God says, it is good, it is good, it is good. He looks at man's condition of loneliness and says for the first time, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. And he took one of the ribs from Adam's side, created a woman to complete him and to do life together in his kingdom 
to subdue the earth together, uh, not, not as a servant and a master, but as joint heirs of ruling over God's creation in their proper context, where the man is completing the woman, the woman completes the man. So let's kind of talk about how this gets screwed up in society, Claire, because women, uh, you know, we see a feminist movement. I don't need a man. I don't need a man in my life. I can do everything a man does. There's a downplay on marriage. And even statistically, marriages are going down. Women are staying single longer or moving into lesbian lifestyles. Why do you think in light of God's creative narrative, women do need a man? Men need them to be completed. And we'll get to that. But why do women need a man when it comes to the area of marriage rather than just rejecting marriage? I don't want kids. I don't, I, I don't want a, a husband. I want to live my own life an independent life. Right. Well, I think that is toxic and the marriage is so important to male and female because women are called to have children, to bear children. It's not just a, oh, I can do it myself. I can do it on my own. That is one of the worst things because we cannot, in fact, do it on our own all alone. Um, and I think that is one of the biggest red flags is that we can't do what God has called us to do alone with it not being in marriage. What do you think the societal push and draw is for women right now to forego the married life, find the independence, focus particularly on self-love? You know, you've seen it. Mm -hmm. I mean, self-love, self-indulge. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's all about you. Um, you know, kids just get in the way. A husband's just going to get in your way. It's going to uh, rain down on your parade in a bad way. So what do you think the society is doing that is driving that, particularly in film or books, novels? I mean, do you see a toxicity coming in in multiple places where women are just getting pounded with this? Oh, yeah. It's everywhere. It is everywhere we look. You get on Instagram and 2.5 seconds later, it is in your face blaring, not just Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, on your ads, on your ads, on your Google, on your Gmail account. It is literally everywhere we go. I'm a I think a part of that is very materialistic is, oh, you can't have this because you don't have your new Louis Vuitton bag yet. Um, you, you don't need this because, or you don't need to bear children because you haven't traveled the world yet and you'll just get in the way. Um, it is pumped into our society at a very young age, even on the kids' iPads, on their ads, it's being pumped to them as well. It's not just a our generation problem. It sure. is being pumped from babies as well. Yeah. And and it's not that women can't be strong and independent or oh, yeah. raise them to be that way. We're not saying that's the case and that they have to be always dependent on a man. But we see the setup in the beginning that a daughter was under the leadership of her father and the father was to look after her, provide for her, take care of her, make sure she is protected emotionally, spiritually, physically. Uh, so she was to be integrated into that. And then passing off the young woman to the man was a trust of exchange where the mother and the father are letting the daughter and the son on the other side of the family come together and be their own family and bring out the same values into the next generation. Um, and, and being that we are Anglican, we believe in the covenant of this. We believe in the covenant of marriage. We believe in the covenant of family and that God wanted offspring in the world. He told them to go and plenish the earth to have children. So when we talk about why is marriage necessary? Well, because the world is incomplete without those two things. God created all animals that way and man should not be alone. Uh, now, I, I realize that some men are called to the life of celibacy. I don't think that is as common as some want it to be, uh, you know, and, and the problem in our society with men is we have two extremes on how to deal with marriage. One, uh, we have this idea that they are dominating their wife. It's yes, the Bible talks about submission. Yes, the Bible talks about uh, the woman following the leader of the leader of the home along with the children. But it doesn't look like domination. It doesn't look like something that is completely corrupted uh, by subduing the woman to submit to the point where it, it's unhealthy and there's no actual jointness. In fact, Peter says in first chapter, uh, chapter three of his first letter 
that the husband and the wife are joint heirs. That's, that's co-rulers together of the grace of life. And so a husband is actually supposed to entrust to his wife responsibility where they together are making decisions for the family. They are making decisions for the children. They're making the decisions in church. They're making their decisions for jobs. They're making their decisions for everyday life. And within those contexts and confounds, it's not the husband doing all the decision-making and the wife is just sitting back because actually that negates the beauty of the husband and wife coming together and forming one thing. Guys lack the ability to think emotionally. Uh, we lack the, um, uh, right, now the, my <laughs> wife laughs. And make sure you're talking close into the mic there, babe. Uh, when Sorry. You're, yeah, you're good. Uh, and, and so, you know, laugh into the mic. Uh, but, you know, we, we are helpless without the companion that God intended for us to have. And it really takes uh, two people who are willing to be selfless to do the task of the life that God has called them to. But at the same time, a man cannot be at his best. I, I am lesser without you, right? I'm lesser of a person. I, you, you're, you're my support. You're my friend. You're, you're my backing. I know when I come home, you've got my back. I don't worry about those things. Guys need that. Um, there's a part of our society where God created male and female so different that they look at the world very, very differently and not to have the other person share their view and bring those views together, then they can actually see the whole world in its true context. We're only seeing a half a world without the other. And when we see the world differently, that's where most fights actually come from between husbands and wives because the woman sees it this way, the man sees it this way. When actually if they learn to communicate, and we all struggle with that, if we learn to communicate, we can actually build a picture of seeing the world for how it really is. Women think emotionally, men think logically. You need both. To only think of the world logically, but not emotionally, you're going to miss out on major aspects. To only think of it emotionally and not logically, you're actually going to make bad decisions. So this is a team situation. So when Peter says that the husband and wife are joint heirs, what ways do you think husbands and wives need to work together and can work together to accomplish something for God as a couple that they could never have done as singles? That's a great question. <laughs> well, I would hope so. I wouldn't ask one that was bad. No. I forgot the question. Where do you see the the the, the companionship necessary? Oh, where in, you in every almost every situation. Well, give some illustration breakdowns where you see that as a single person, it, it was it was not as easy, or you couldn't do it, or you were lacking the visionary ideas. But when you work together with with me or your husband, me, you know, what did you <laughs> actually start benefiting from that? What are things that husband and wives benefit from? Um, well, there's a lot of things. I think first and foremost would be church and hmm. going to church. I know that we just both went through quite a big change in church. Um, and I, without you, would have probably not come to that decision as quickly as I did, for sure. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good example. I mean, and that's the thing. Males are spiritual leaders. And mm -hmm. for husbands that are out there, you you are to lead your home. You are to guide your family in spiritual steps to put them in a position, put your, your wife and your children in a position to succeed spiritually. That is part of our obligation. That's part of nurturing. That's part of loving our families is to put them in a position to succeed spiritually. And I think that's lacking in our culture as well. Um, another example would be with finances. Okay. <laughs> well, and that's true. I mean, let's it be really real. Is it, true. It, most, I most fights come from financial situations in, in most marriages statistically. But again, that's because men and women look at finances differently. So how does it benefit in your mind? Well, in finances pertaining to not only me, but our entire family, because we all are from the same finance bucket and our marriage. Um, and I, where it, very, it differentiates from being single to being married is that you have ideally would both look at finances together and as the same. Whereas I, I am the shopper of the family. You're the shopper, but you're also the budgeter all of a sudden. I used to do the budgeting, but you're- I've you're, done the budgeting. Right. I do good job. And it works out. And, it and 
and having a standard that we both agree to mm -hmm. and work on, it makes life so much easier because we actually work together, team right. together to make sure it happens. It's like, what do we need? What, what do we actually need versus what we don't need? What is a luxury? And, and to work through what a luxury is as a single person, I had a lot of luxuries that I had to give up as a right. married person. Right. I would spend money on stupid things that Wait, I didn't like, like, well, I mean, I haven't <laughs> bought, I haven't bought firearms hardly at all since married life. I mostly got that out of the way when I was single. Um, <laughs> but you know, now that Kezia is getting older as a daughter, I feel like I need to be buying more, but you know, there's things that I, I enjoy doing because single people can go out and do things and then spend their money wastefully on certain nights. But when you have a wife and kids at home or you got a husband and kids at home, it's like, yeah, I typically would buy this brand, but all of us need shoes. So if everybody in the household needs shoes, we selflessly take a lesser brand. You know, it's no longer the $400 shoes. It's the $45 shoes that are on sale and 50% off in the <laughs> Nike aisle. Uh, we do our best just to find a, you know, a reasonable brand, but you know, we're waiting for, you know, the third edition to come out so we can buy the second edition, you know, half off. But yeah, I do think finances is another one. So spirituality, uh, working together. And this is the thing. I think when, when Adam and Eve were put in the garden, God did not tell them every directive. He wanted them to investigate, to figure out how to work as a team and to subdue the earth. When I look at a husband wife relationship, the goal for the husband and wife is to bring into subjection their world that God has given them due diligence to like this home. This is our home. This is our dominion. Um, we have one dog to worry about. Uh, we have two children here. Uh, we have responsibilities. We have property. We have jobs. We have spiritual responsibilities to our churches, to each other. And God has called us together to co-rule our lives where you're independently living your life one part of the day. And I'm on another side of a different town working, living, but it, it's supposed to be teamwork to make it work. And we don't all do a good job at that. And, and Claire and I don't either, but it's things that God wants us to learn and figure out trial and error. Um, I think that if you're looking for perfect scenarios, they don't exist in marriage because it is trial and error. It's making mistakes and repenting of mistakes and fixing and communicating. And we're all bad at it. Guys and girls, guys worse, <laughs> but guys and girls are so bad at this, but God had a beautiful design here when he created the marital relationship. Now, the issue that's come into play is that this has been distorted because when Jesus wanted to make an image of a church and his bride, that's what he called the church, his bride. He's coming back. You see this significantly played out in the New Testament. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he likens himself to, I'm not the groom, I'm the friend of the groom. I'm the groomsman. This, this isn't my wedding, it's his wedding. And then he introduces him in a manner that fits him to be elevated. And then we go into the New Testament and Jesus starts talking in parables about there was a certain person who was having a wedding and there was a feast and a wedding banquet. And, and then Jesus in his first miracle turns water into wine at a wedding. You see this attachment to Jesus in the marital covenant, so much so that the church is painted as his bride and Paul says this, this is a great mystery when he spoke of the husband and wife relationship. He said, this is the mystery I speak of, and that is Christ in his church. And the whole time he was talking about us. And then he says, oh, just so you know, your physical human marriages are the mystery of Christ in his church. It's like, so what are we supposed to do with that? That's a lot of weight, right? But if homosexual and same-sex marriages are correct, what we've done is said, Jesus's picture is distorted and we need to fix it because what would have been better is if Jesus called himself a groom preparing himself for another groom, or if he didn't want to identify in gender, he was a bride awaiting the next bride, his bride, the bride waiting for a bride. And most of us would feel very uncomfortable with that analogy. We'd feel like, okay, there's distortion. This is sick. Because that's not the way it designed. And people will say, and I've heard people say, Jesus never condemned homosexual marriages. That's Old Testament law and Paul. I'm sorry. Jesus defined exactly what marriage was. He says, from the beginning, it was not so. He said, God created male and female. 
and that the male should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and these two shall become one flesh. Now, that's impossible for a male and a male to do. That's impossible for a female and a female to do. So therefore, therefore, Jesus may not have explicitly said homosexuality is sin, but he defined marriage and what it means. And then he likened his love for his church to a male and a female marriage. And that union is depicting the mystery of his. So absolutely, he debunked homosexual marriages. So going into that, there's three aspects to where the husband and wife become one flesh. I think it's three aspects. One, uh, they become uh, physically through sexuality. Two, they become connected spiritually. Three, they also become uh, unified emotionally. So let's talk about where husband and wives really need each other in the spiritual aspect. We kind of touched on it a little bit. But where do you think spirituality is important for a husband and wife to work together, to love God separately and independently, and how important that is? So, so speak to that. Why does the husband and wife need to have individual time with the Lord for yourselves? Go ahead. Yeah, so you used to use an analogy that marriage is kind of like a stool, a three-legged stool. You have the sexuality part, you have the spiritual spirituality part, and you have the... Um, Emotional. emotional emotional part and you cannot sit on a stool balanced with one of those legs being off i think first and foremost the spirituality for both us alone and together is key is completely key i know from me from my personally if i don't spend time with the lord if i fall off of my prayer life if i fall off reading my bible or my devotional we suffer and it's not just we, it's me at work. It's me with the kids, but it is me and you. We suffer. And having that alone time is key. And also, I think it's very important that we spend time together in the word and also in prayer life. And we've just recently started kind of honing in more on our prayer life yeah. together um, in the mornings, like this morning, you came in and we prayed together or you prayed over us. So. Yeah, that's something, and, and Tyler and I touched on that yesterday in the Anglican um, communion and the prayer book and mm. the daily office. Yeah. He and I both have had multiple conversations about how much we need to step it up as dads and husbands and praying. And, mm. and that's something I've been trying to be more intentional about because I do a lot of praying and driving early in the morning on my way. I listen to scripture out loud. Uh, I reflect, I think, I talk to God, and then Throughout the day, I'm constantly doing that independently. I'm studying, I'm reading scripture, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm pointing things out, I'm building new studies. And I get lost up in my individuality that it's like, you know what? My kids need this. My wife mm. needs this. And so that's something that I have done a bad job at as a husband that recently uh, positive things are moving from, again, just even being Anglican and the emphasis of prayer and scripture reading and confession mm. and all that it has been a major help there. So, you know, on that aspect, we complete each other spiritually when the wife loves God intentionally and the husband loves God intentionally, because then they are individually mm. settled in their relationship with God. And I think what has happened in a lot of Christian marriages is that the husband is dependent on the wife for certain things too much. And then, and, and has expectations and the wife has expectations of the husband spiritually and they're, they're, they're not able to be independently walking with the Lord to actually organically help the other person just by being spiritually fit. Because being spiritually fit is not something the other person can do for each other. You have to do that for yourself. Uh, and if not, like you said, it doesn't just affect marriage. It affects where you work. It affects everything, everything. you do. Everything. You, you have to have that individual time with the Lord mm. to be able to have commonality together and lead that family spiritually because both of you are in tune with the Holy Spirit. And I believe the husband seeks God and the wife seeks God. They will do things the way God wants them to do it unified. Another aspect is emotionally. And, um, you know, guys have emotions. We just don't show it as much. And if we do, it's usually anger. That's usually the emotion that guys are depicted with women. It's more tears and sadness, but guys have emotions that need to be held in check. Women have emotions, but because they're so emotionally different, 
that independence is unique and both are needed, but they're also needed together. So just on the emotional side, uh, because marriage is emotionally draining. Um, <laughs> it, it just is. I mean, it, it is for the, probably for the wife more than the husband, but it is emotionally draining. But why, why do you see, and what benefit do you see God giving to man and woman to find unity and complete each other in emotions? Cause we're so different. We balance each other out. It, it truly does balance each other out. I think balance is key. So I know that I have hard days emotionally aren't clear. You are being sassy. You need to <laughs> stop. I'm like, oh, really? No, not me. Um, and then complete opposite on your end. So truly, I think that balance is the key in our relationship, for sure. We, we definitely balance each other out there. Yeah, balance is necessary because God, again, gave two people, made them intentionally different. Mm. See, that's the beauty of God. Everything is diverse, but yet unified. And, and this is something that I focused on teaching on Creed yesterday, that we look at in a world and it's diverse. You, you find male and female in the animal kingdom, but yet even in the animal kingdom or in the, in the area of birds or fish, there's so many different kinds. And we always talk about in our culture, we need diversity. We need diversity. And we, we recognize the world was intentionally created to be different from each other. Certain animals to be different, certain birds to be different, but God wants his diverse universe to be unified. And there's only in the, in the person of God himself who is capable of showing us the perfect balance of these three things, because he is one God completely unified within three separate persons. He is of the same substance as the father, son, and spirit, three individual persons and in diverse different roles, different perspectives, different functions, but of the same substance and mindset. And so he is diverse yet unified. So he is our example. And when people talk about the subject of husband and wife, they look at the emotional side of things. God on this part, I believe this is the main reason God brought this into was actually for the male to lead because of his emotions being more geared toward leadership. I'm not saying women can't lead. I'm not saying women don't have the ability to lead. I'm saying in a family, God had established the male to lead the home because of the emotional. But the problem is, is if the male leads the home with only his emotions and not the wife's emotions, he's going to lead the family incorrectly. He's going to be very hurtful, uh, angry all the time because his emotions need to be balanced with the wife, who's the nurturer, typically, especially with children, is the nurturer you know, dads are more like, you eh, shake it off. You'll be fine. You know, uh, it, it, we need both in the home in order to balance that out. So in the nurturing aspect, this is where the emotional part, I think is where God gave the roles to husband and wife spiritually lead, emotionally lead, not as this, but as this, where the wife is so close to Christ and her husband that she, uh, guides him and supports him to make the right decisions for the family and makes herself available with her abilities. What do you think? Oh, hundred percent. Agree. And then obviously the, the basic one, the most obvious one that is used is they're obviously sexually completing each other. Um, you cannot get that in same sex unions. You cannot get that. It doesn't work. And I, 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 I joke, but I'm serious. I think about uh, this in the office, the show, the office where there's a lady just sitting there at the restaurant trying to point out, it doesn't work. Talk, talking about two same sex guys and how it doesn't work. And she was trying to explain how it doesn't work. And, and, and I feel the same way. It's like basic common sense. Sexually, it doesn't work. Emotionally, it doesn't work. Spiritually, it doesn't work to put the same sex into a union and call it a marriage. It, deforms the beauty of Christ and his church that he likened it to. And we're saying, oh, Jesus used an analogy, but he should have changed it because that's not the best thing. Jesus didn't know what the best thing was. God didn't know what was best for humanity when he created male and female the way that he did. The thing is, is we have distorted the image of God so badly and we have corrupted it. We've now we're marrying ghosts and people have married animals and there's stories of just nonsense in our corrupted culture and world. But I think you need the husband and wife to complete each other in all of these phases as well.
Now, when it comes to the area of blessing, one of the things that we've noticed and, you know, no thanks to Rome and even the church of England uh, with all that's been going on there, nobody has to look any further than what Pope Francis and this new document, uh, the fiducia supplicans, you know, you have the statement from Cardinal Fernandez that now you can bless not the union, but you can bless the individuals and that two people, a guy and a guy, a girl and a girl can show up to a service and spontaneously come forward and receive an individual blessing, but they can come together. That created a lot of havoc. Again, Eric Yabar and I did two entire episodes now on this. Go back to the archives and find it to get the details there. Then um, Archbishop of Canterbury, recently after much debate in the Anglican Church, particularly in the C of E, the Church of England, finally said and legalized the blessing of same-sex people. And just in December, two lesbian priests were blessed they were now blessed, the first blessing of lesbian priests in the Church of England. Now, that makes me sick, being an Anglican, and this is the reason we're not a part of the leadership of the Archbishop of Canterbury, because uh, GAFCON completely and all of its churches in the global south all split from the Church of England and have rejected the leadership of Archbishop because of this very issue. And now they're taking it to a whole new level. And so when you look at this, what is the mainstream news? What is the New York Times publishing? They're publishing the Catholics perspective and, and Father Martin blessing two guys holding hands. He's, you know, in the front page of New York Times. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing the Archbishop of Canterbury. We're seeing these two lesbians being blessed that went down and got their blessing. And then they did an interview and, and everybody's just all up in arms. That's what the world wants to show. They want us to show that this is the norm. And the more I thought about this, the more I realized, no, this is not the norm. In fact, they're in a very, very small minority. In Christian marriages, we're talking a thousand to one statistics. But the one is getting the headlines. The one is making hedgeway. The one is getting their message across. And it started to bother me as it related to, and again, let me define blessing. Blessing is where the clergy put their hands on this couple or individual and even anoint an oil if need be and bestow upon them prayer that God would actually bring grace into that person's life to change their circumstance for his glory. We are asking God to do something supernatural by means of grace. And, and the thing that that has been distorted with is on two men or two women and distorting the whole marital covenant across the board I began to realize we actually, we need somebody to actually counter the culture by taking time in churches to bless the marriages we want more than the marriages we're against. And I'm not against calling out the wrong marriages. We do it on this program all the time. But how often do we see God bless or uh, pastors bless in the name of God couples? Now, maybe your church is good at this. And, and I hope it is, but that's really not the norm. Where, where do we see blessings the most? Where do we see blessings the most? It's on a marriage day. It's on a wedding day where they actually make their vows for the very first time. And, and I've done that organizing weddings, praying over the couple, praying God blesses their marriage and their life. But what about the couple that's been married for five years with two kids and they're about to, you know, rip their hair out? What about the couple that's been married for 20 years and the kids have moved out of the house and they're all off into college and they're all alone and they don't even know each other? What about the couples that have been married for 40, 50 years who feel like they have nothing to learn about the other person anymore because they've exhausted it all those years? What about these couples? Why do you think it's important that the church start across the board, not just newlyweds, but marriages and whole, taking time each maybe year, quarter, something to allow for couples to go down to their leaders and be blessed by their leadership. Why, why do you think that could be a big deal for the church moving forward? Well, not only would it bless, I mean, that couple, but also everyone in that congregation that gets to witness mm -hmm. that. The babies, the kids. I know in our church, we have kids running around everywhere, which is fantastic. It's giving them something to look forward to, something to associate with marriage. It's not just 
a boring ceremony with a huge party after because a lot of kids probably do think that um it's giving them something to witness it's like a baptism everyone celebrates baptism um i really like how at our church the kids got a baptismal candle um to light every year at the at their um anniversary of their baptism to remember that what if we did something similar with blessings in a marriage for your anniversary i mean just think of not only the mindset change that could would take place in the church, in the congregation, in that marriage, but everyone watching. I think that's a good point. I think when you look at the marriage, those that aren't married yet, or those that are sitting in the congregation who are widows, even Mm -hmm. it'll impact everybody in that room in some way, just like a bat, like you said, like just a baptism does it impacts everybody in that room in one way, shape or another. And maybe this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews meant when he said that marriage is honorable among all. Mm. Maybe we need to honor marriages um, in front of everybody more often, because what we've done as a church is we have been very vocal about what kind of marriage we don't want and we should, but what about the marriages we do want? What about the marriages that we want to see happen? What about the marriages that we believe should be demonstrated as the role models of the next generation and what kind of marriages they should look forward to in their life and in their church. And that's what we want to see here. And so our call is that clergy across the spectrum of, I don't care if you're Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or Anglican, Lutheran, Baptist, whatever. What if we got behind this on a regular basis where pastors and leaders all come together to take time in their church services, just, just a short period of time in your church to have couples come forward and you have leaders lay hands on them and just pray over them. You know, we we pray for people that are going through divorces and broken marriages, but what if we, what if we could help stop those by praying ahead of time and asking God's grace to intervene for them? What if, that kind of blessing started something where a husband and wife are going through a terrible time because that impacted them. They start saying, you know what? We need help. We need help. We need to go counsel. We need to start working on things. What would it motivate? So it would motivate and I think help the audience. I agree. But how about the couple that is going down there to receive a blessing that nobody else in the church knows has major issues going on between them. And as far as anybody else is concerned, their marriage is normal and great when it's really not. And they go down and they receive a blessing from their priest or a bishop or a pastor. Do you think it would have any impact on them just seeing their church get behind marriage and even wishing and praying and blessing the best for them through God's grace? Do you think it would have a major impact on that couple? Yes, uh, definitely. And not only just feeling everyone surround them, but having the Holy Spirit intercede on them, receiving those blessings. Maybe that's what they need to take the next step to go to counseling since, since maybe they're not taking that step. Yeah. And, and, and now they know they have a support group. Exactly. They might not have known that before. Exactly. And, uh, and I think there are people that go to church and they put on a mm-hmm. show all as well. I don't, and, and I, and I'll never forget that as pastor, uh, pastoring in a church, you know, the people that came in telling me they needed help shocked me. Yeah. It's like, what? I mean, based on Facebook and <laughs> you know, Lies. you guys are the couple of the year. There mm-hmm. should be a, you know, a, an award for it. And then meanwhile, <laughs> you know, they're, they're bickering, they're arguing, mm-hmm. they sleep in different rooms sometimes. And it's like, Whoa, where did this come from? But how dynamic would it be if that couple saw their church and its leaders get behind them completely, get behind what they're doing and say, we're here for you and we want to see God intervene. And it's not just the the wishfulness of that. Again, as Anglicans, we believe that when the bishop or the priest lays hands and anoints an oil, that God's grace is, not might, is going to come and do something in that marriage. It might bring repentance on somebody. It might bring restoration within the might bring conversations that needed to be had. It will elevate and build up that marriage and and for the glory of God in one way, shape or form. 
it might not be easy. It might actually start a very difficult path for that couple. It might start a two, three year journey, but at the same time, it might also be the best thing that ever happened. And it might be a moment where those couples go back to and remember for the rest of their lives and their marriage. So I think it's important from that perspective as well. Now, kind of getting into what Peter said in first Peter three, going back to the verse that they would be joint heirs. We emphasize the idea of joint heirs, but this is the part of why I believe marriage is sacramental. Uh, it says that they are heirs of the grace of life. Heirs of the grace of life. That's sacramental language, folks. The grace of life is God giving them grace in their union to do life together. Here's the admonition I give to you. I don't care how hard your marriage is right now. I don't care what you're going through. It's not outside of God's grace to get through it and work together and be what God intended you to be. Some of you that might be listening to this, you might be in the middle of a situation and you're thinking divorce, abandonment, whatever is going through your mind. Find a church, if you're not in one, that wants to bless marriages and be a part of blessing your marriage and getting behind your marriage because what your wife or your husband needs is grace. Grace from God, grace from each other, grace from your church. And if, if grace can save you from sin, then grace can save your marriage. And so being in a marriage means that God actually wants to activate grace into the marriage because your marriage reflects his image of Christ in the church and its mysteries. Your marriage is meant to be a beacon and a light to the world to show that there is a God in heaven who loved his creation sent his son into it, loved it so much sacrificially that when a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, they see the real genuine love of Christ. And when a wife and a husband are working together and she submits to her husband, the children are in good uh, work toward the parents and everybody in the family is functioning the way God originally designed for the best interest of the husband, the wife, and the children. And specifically in the marriage union, when they're working together the way God intended it to be, it's actually the gospel put on display to the world. A healthy marriage is a healthy message. And the message is we are image bearers of God. We are Christ's church and we are the very thing that Christ loves. And we're showing the world that they too can join the bride of Christ and be at the marriage supper of the lamb. When you think of that imagery, when you think of Jesus using that imagery and he thinks of his own bride and he wants husbands to think of brides that way and, what does that do in your mind when you think about that image where Christ chooses to use it? It's beautiful and it's also scary because it's so sorry. It's beautiful and it's scary because it's weighted. I, I feel the weight of that. Do you feel the weight? Oh of that? man. Love like, her as Christ love the church. Woo! Right. Like that, that is a lot on your shoulders and it just goes back to the importance of being in the word did both together and separate as well. I think it is weighted. I think that we are supposed to feel the weight of that. Mm -hmm. I think that God wants us to feel it, but experience the beauty of it too, mm -hmm. because if it pictures Christ in his church, it's meant to be a beautiful thing that both. I don't think anybody that looks at the way Jesus loves the church and says, I don't know if I want to be a part of that or the way the church is going to be, uh, brought to himself and at a marriage supper and celebrated and loved on. And, and in response, the church is obedient to their, to, to their groom, if you would, to the, to the bride and the groom working together and seeing that say, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to be that guy's bride. No, we want to see, we see him as the perfect groom, the perfect example. And then we look at the church when he's cleansing and washing it and bringing it to himself. We say, man, he is really creating for himself a beautiful marriage. We all want that, but we can actually experience elements of that in human marriages between the husband and the wife. And so I think when it comes to this subject, our desire particularly is that you leaders that listen to this, I know I have a lot of pastors that listen to this program. I don't care what denomination you're in. It's irrelevant to me. 
I want you to think deeply over the next little bit as you go through your day about how you can integrate time in one of your services, either once a year, once a quarter, whatever, to just recognize the marriage unions in the church that you want to see the next generation and you want to see happening in your church to honor those marriages, not new ones only. Of course, obviously the new ones, but not new ones only. Ones that have been a long, long, long time, few years. And watch what God does in your congregation as you pray on behalf and bless and anoint and love on those people. I think it'll change your church. I really do. What's the worst that's going to happen? People get right with each other. People start becoming more serious about their marriages. Young people get an influence from countering the culture that they're getting on their iPads and their TV and their YouTube channels and their TikTok channels. What's if, if, if we can put that in front of their face all day long, what would it do for them to be in a sober moment of church and people are coming down and they're seeing their mom and dad and they're seeing aunts and uncles and men and women who are 85 years old and men, men and women who are 25 years old standing side by side, coming forward, receiving a blessing. And here's what I'd also encourage you to do. Don't ma- It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter at all what your background is on this. I would also, after that blessing, do the Lord's table. Hmm. I, don't, I don't care what your view is on that at this point. Take communion together with your church and bring a special element of grace all in your congregation and remember Christ's love for his church through the elements, the body and blood of Christ, and present that through the marriage covenant. So I would do that and the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper in your service. And pastors, I think that you know I'm right. I've been one of you twice, and and I know what it looks like inside of churches. And I know that a lot of you are dealing with marital problems right now. If you, if you're pastoring people, there's marriages that are popping into your mind right now of struggling and people that are thinking about divorce or they're thinking about, um, suicide. I mean, you know who they are. They're coming in your mind immediately and you weigh down yourself with their burdens when they call you or they're meeting with you. How about Yes, keep counseling, but how about integrate this and see what the Lord does in addition to your counsel? I think it'll go a long way. Babe, any words on encouragement about that? What would that do for you or if you were in a situation or what do you think that would do for our marriage in your mind? Having Travis and and uh, Pat down there or even Bishop Brian or somebody yeah. come in, it, what would that do? It would it'd be a blessing. I mean, I know that sounds really silly because it is a blessing, but I, I think back at our first year of marriage because we're technically still newlyweds, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think kind of graduating out. We are, we are, I can't, I can't wait until we can celebrate 45 something years, but we're, I don't think I'll make it that far. You will. You will. (sighs) But I just think about our first year of marriage and marriage is hard. (laughs) Y'all it is not a walk in the park, but it is so worth it. And if we had, I just think back to our first anniversary and if we had the congregation of our church just surround us and put their hands on us and bless us, I feel the gravity of that. Just thinking about it, just talking about it. So I, I mean, thinking back, that's fantastic. Um, Pat, Travis, I'm looking at you guys. Um, our anniversary comes up in December. So yeah, and and thankfully things are in the works. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, in, in our diocese. And Travis has already gotten onto this, and so mm-hmm. is Pat. Very excited about it. Bishop Brian, we got to talk to yeah. him about it in person at at the uh, at the West's confirmation, and they're already making decisions within the diocese to start implementing things once a year. And uh, Travis is already scheduling in the spring a time for. Uh, couples to spend a few days together and actually get instruction and reflection. And then there would be a Bishop's blessing uh, and Eucharist as well. So, I mean, these are things to look forward to in our marriage. And, and I would encourage everybody else that's listening to this 
to, to either find within your marriage, that place of communication and intentionality of what does my church think about marriage? One, two, what do they do about what they think about the marriage? Cause if they believe that it's between a husband and a wife and they believe that the best kind of marriage that could be uh, given in the world is that kind of relationship lived out to the glory of God, reflecting Christ's love for his church and his church's response to him. If that is the illustration, the mystery that they hold to just see how, just see how serious they are with this. Talk to your pastor, pull aside an assistant or talk to those in leadership and say, Hey, read this blog. Guy named Stephen Boyce, random guy wrote it. Tell me what you think. Tell me if, if our church should do this. I think this is a good idea. I think we need to counter culture, the things that we're watching around us and bless the right kind of marriages. And folks, that's what we want to see for you. We want to see that for your family. We want to see that for your church. Any last words, babe? Nope. Good, good. Well, folks, this is the end of the episode and we do have other episodes coming. Tyler and I were just having discussion today. Uh, I think we're going to go into some of the creeds next. Ooh. So we'll be hitting the Apostles' Creed, uh, Nicene Creed, and then the Athanasian Creed. Uh, and so we'll go through each three, each of those three, and then we'll actually go through a background of why creed's important and why it's important to get back to creedal belief systems. So that'll be coming up. Keep your eyes and ears open for that. Also, there are updates being made on our channel. Uh, as you notice, we changed the YouTube from explore to facts. So yes, it's the same channel. Uh, we're slowly integrating some of these things. So make sure you're keeping your eyes open for that. But yes, it is the same videos and channels. So if you're used to going to explore Christianity on YouTube to find facts episodes, just go to facts now. And if you already subscribed, you're still linked to it. So don't worry about that. If you have yet to subscribe, shame on you, uh, go into the YouTube channel. And by the way, the followers are going up because YouTube's fairly new with facts. We've only been doing it for a few months. Uh, the podcast has been around longer than explore was, and the podcast is continuing to move strong and have new viewers every single week. But now we want to integrate both the audio and the video for that. So facts is expanding through both. Uh, so make sure you like and subscribe on YouTube. If you are one of those listening to this through the podcast, please make sure you go back and listen uh, to these episodes, but also like and subscribe on whether it's Spotify or Apple. Uh, Podbean is another one. I didn't even realize that was out there. I have like 3%. I was like 3% of people are listening on what? So I'm most are Spotify and Apple and, and, but there are others just subscribe on that. So that way you get notifications when new ones come out and uh, we'll continue to go through these great things as the Lord uh, gives us his grace. And that's what we say to you, grace and peace. God bless.